the Good Doctrine Podcast, where we believe that good doctrine establishes good living. I am Sean Pasley. And I'm Josh Showard. We're on episode 82 of Good Doctrine Podcast. Beat you. <laughs> episode 82. Um, we talked about it last week and that we were going to do a uh, special episode today. I, I'm here to proudly announce that there's nothing special about today's episode. <laughs> nothing out of the ordinary, just two guys talking about good doctrine. Um, no, we're, we're teaming up. We have uh, good brothers over at uh, Mercy Hill Church over in Olive Branch um, who have their own podcast called Products of Grace Podcast. Um, we were going to release, um, I, I was a guest on their podcast about a week and a half ago, and we were going to release that. Still working on the details as far as getting files transferred, yada, yada. But we're hoping to not only release that, but also do a little team up with them in the future. So yeah, um, that was the hope and expectation, but you know, things get delayed and, and we will roll with it. What we will do is we'll, we will, if it's okay with them, and I think it is okay with them because I think I've already asked them, is we will just release their podcast on, you know, to our audience. So okay, if, good. Um, and uh, it might come on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday or a, you know, whatever other day. Nice. But uh, and maybe we'll do like a little introduction, just letting you guys know who you're going to hear hear talking on there and that type of thing. Yeah, introduce them just so that so that um, because one of the things that we as pastors are consistently exposed with or exposed to is uh, or just confronted with honestly is the realization that most people have very few trusted sources, right? Uh, like books or pastors or anything. And so they kind of rely on, you know, their trusted sources to show them other trusted sources. Right. So if we don't recommend podcasts and we if we don't share anything, then, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of you guys are just listening to what we listen to. Right. Um, which is which is good, but we want to expose you to some other uh, godly men and uh, local local pastors. So that being said, this week's episode, this is going to be a good one because we're both in a mood and um, <laughs> some sort of mood. It's that post-Easter mood. Well, this is this is going to be a, a good podcast, and I am I am really looking forward to what we're going to talk about today. We're still we're still debating on what we're going to call this podcast, but whatever it is, it's going to be clever and it's going to be uh, real catchy. <laughs> that um, means you're going to name it, and certainly not me if it's clever and catchy. Well, well, but but we have some important issues to talk about, and I think it's kind of not based on what. What we're going to talk about—that's quote unquote in the news, or at least you know in the, right, on right. Twitter—but uh, it's really it's it's close to it. It's ba- you know it's that's 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 part of it, right? So why don't you? Um, why so don't speaking you of what's in the news, us. yes, good transition. Speaking of what's in the news, um, oh, and by the way, yesterday. So as, as the time of this recording, we're recording this on a Monday, so that means yesterday was Easter Sunday. Um, I honestly hope and pray that everyone that's listening to this had a a glorious Easter celebration. I pray that you went to church. I pray that you heard the Word preached. I pray that you heard uh, Christ glorified and lifted up. Mm -hmm. Um, I pray that sinners were called to repentance and faith, that the saints were encouraged. I hope you experienced all those things. So happy Easter to everybody, um, and I hope that it was a good one. Coming off that high note, let's drop down to a low note. In the news, um, uh, there's there's a senator in Georgia who made a lot of headlines, kind of all eyes were on Georgia at the end of the last electoral cycle. And I say all eyes were on Georgia because even I knew that there was a big deal about the Georgia Senate races. And I know astonishingly little about political developments by choice Mm -hmm. um, and by habit. But one of the the guys that won in Georgia uh, was a pastor and now Senator Raphael Warnock. Um, Raphael Warnock pastors New Ebenezer Baptist Church there in, it's in Atlanta or maybe one of the suburbs, isn't it? 
I, I know less than you. Oh, well, okay. Well, good. I know he said this thing. So this will be really ill-informed. But yeah, he he uh, <laughs> he pastors a mega church though, um, and I think it's in the Atlanta area, uh, a Baptist mega church. This is what, in light of everything I just said about Easter Sunday, um, this is what Raphael Warnock said. And then after a whole lot of well-deserved backlash on social media, he took it down, but he did not recant what he said. Um, this is what he said, quote, The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He continued on, quote, Whether you are Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves, end quote. Hmm. So just to summarize, because, you know, we're simple people and, you know, we're not we're not as as high and lofty as, as you know, senators may be in the U.S. Senate. <laughs> but as I try to pick through this language, um, what I'm told is that Easter is about more than Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and that men are able to save ourselves through the works of the law, as opposed to faith in the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ. Right. So in, 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 in essentially, what was stated by a Baptist megachurch pastor slash senator was the antithesis, the opposite, the the opposing blasphemy. Yeah, usually of we call what that, Easter is about. Call that heresy. Yeah, and I, I say this again. We don't mention a lot of names on our podcast, right? Like we intentionally avoid names. I do. Well, you do sometimes, <laughs> but um, but no. I mean, in general, both of us are very measured with mentioning names. Here's why I mention the name is because what we're going to talk about today is about truth and doctrine, like we do on most of these podcasts. But also, we have to point out untruths when untruths are spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, what he said was not just cute or pithy. What he said was not just a different take on Christianity. What he said was not. Um, the voice of either someone in power as a senator or maybe as a minority voice as an African-American or whatever category you want to put him into, a Southerner, a, you know, a, a Georgian. What he said was the antithesis and denial of what Scripture, in more places than we have time to count today, says was the point of the cross and resurrection. Yeah. It's the opposite of Scripture. Yeah, yeah. So look, the, the the Bible says, and the cross says, look to God, not yourselves, because yeah. you could not do this. Look what you know. We see in the Scriptures it says, look what God has done. You know, on the cross. Uh, I think there's even a hymn that says, look what God has done. Right. But this quote says, no, no, no. We don't need Jesus to think about Easter. It's about making something of yourself by doing good things for other people by helping others, like you said. Yep. It's. When you say the antithesis, I know that that's a word that people probably don't use a whole lot, but it is literally just the straight-up opposite right. of biblical doctrine. Easter says you cannot save yourselves, you cannot keep the works of the law, and you need God to rescue you by His grace out of your sin. This quote said, whether you're a Christian or not, in other words, your belief in Christ doesn't really even matter, through a commitment to helping others, in other words, the works of the law, you can save yourselves. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in biblical in biblical circles or theological circles, we call this Pelagianism, um, which is just a heresy that's been as old as the, I guess, the scriptures have been around, but it's the, the ancient heresy that we can save ourselves. Right. So anyway, all that to say, um, Easter is worth focusing on. The message of Christ is worth reiterating and grounding. Um, good doctrine truly, truly matters, and it, it especially matters at, at times like this, because I would wager if this is kind of a, you know, you get you get like these little quotes that pop around on social media. They're kind of like, you know, throwing water into a, to a you know, greasy pan that's on the stove, and you get this flash, right? I suspect there's probably more, more underneath that. Yeah. Um, where there's smoke, there's fire. So... 
But something that I wanted to caution uh, caution folks about um, regarding this kind of stuff is you see the Christian Post uh, and various you know responses um, to like this tweet. Like when someone makes a crazy statement like this on uh, Facebook or on Twitter or you know whatever, there's a lot of response to it. Right. However, I've also seen people who don't normally pay attention to the responses and they'll come across like a statement like this and they'll like it or they'll share it because they're not, uh, it's easy when we're talking about the news and we are kind of being your filter, like you're listening to us talk about this guy, but maybe you're you're one of the people who might've read that and not thought there was anything wrong with it. We just have to always be discerning when someone is talking about the Lord, when someone's talking about spiritual things, we, we always have to have our, uh, be on guard. There, you know, there's to, a lot of Christians, and and this isn't to down them or anything, but it's just a reality. There's a lot of Christians that will just share anything that has Jesus or God in it, right? Like we see yeah. Jesus or God, and we're like, oh well, they're clearly a Christian, so yeah, like, share, and and repost. Yeah, be be kind of you know thoughtful with, yeah. with with going through those things. Yeah. So I mean, that in mind about you know being thoughtful, I think that trans um, translates perfectly into the topic. Today. Did we nail a transition? You did. So go ahead. Okay. Well. Here we go. So getting into our discussion for today, we wanted to talk about doctrine matters. Um, I want to talk about heresy. I want to talk about truth. I want to talk about scriptural grounding. I want to talk about all these things, Sean. Um, But first of all, we use the word heresy, and I could feel the cringes when I even use the word heresy. Like a minute ago, I mentioned Pelagianism, that it's an ancient heresy. I think a lot of Christians kind of have a uh, a res- reticence or, or hesitation. Um, we, we don't like to use the well, word the heresy word, you or know heretic. What I, what I think of, and and this is not, this is just because of my background, but um, remember the Monty Python, like Spanish Inquisition? Of course sketches? I don't, okay. Sean. Anyway, so obviously, you know, Monty Python, famous, or famous comedy troupe, blasphemers and whatnot. <laughs> um, I mean, the life of Brian. Yeah. Anyway. Don't know about it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, I always think when I when I hear like theological terms like heresy, I always think about like the jokey Spanish Inquisition. Right. You know, like they would burn people for heresy, and right, right. heresy was just this. It's just a silly, antiquated expression. But yeah. or witch hunts back in the day, yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that. And yeah. we don't really need to like dive too deep into what that what it means because we've had like several episodes on heresies and and specific heresies of the Christian Church. But just so you know, it's you know you listener. It's not something that's reserved for like medieval Roman Catholicism. The word right. heresy. It's it's well, you know, we're the good doctrine podcast. Heresy is bad doctrine. Yeah, and and I think I think the reason it's important for Christians today, coming off an Easter weekend, where I suspect there was a lot of people in church that typically aren't in church. I suspect there was a lot of families that gathered together in churches uh, where maybe those extended family members don't typically go to church. And I suspect that a lot of churches that teach bad doctrine were probably packed yesterday, yeah. um, full of people. And that's why it's it's an issue for the modern church. Um, heresy is real. Uh, we've talked about heresy on this this podcast earlier, but but the earlier episodes, I think we we talked about heresy, for example, during a uh, we talked about like the early church and some of the ancient heresies. So if you're talking about some ancient heresy removed two thousand years ago that was primarily in North Africa that has some name like Apollinarianism or something that you don't even know the name and you certainly have to think through what even this heresy is, that kind of seems detached and you know far away. 
But what are the modern-day heresies? Well, we've brought up the state of theology before. Mm-hmm. Um, Ligonier Ministries does a biannual, I think it's every two years they do a state of theology mm-hmm. uh, survey. And so after this last one, which was in 2020, was released, we did a podcast episode kind of recapping it. But just three things from that podcast that I could just share real briefly um, that should kind of shock us into thinking. Um, just surveying... Uh, U.S. evangelicals, so evangelicals within the United States, um, 30% of U.S. evangelicals agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. So that means that 30% of the most, well, I say the most, of one of the most conservative, Bible-grounded, Scripture-believing groups of Christians in the United States, 30% don't even believe in the triune God of Scripture, much less the Son that was sent. They're, 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 they're quite simply not Christians. Yeah. Um, second, 46% of U.S. evangelicals uh, agree with this statement. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. So 46% of, again, U.S. evangelicals uh, reject original sin, reject our fallen nature, reject the depravity that's in the heart of man, mm-hmm. and believe that men are good by nature. Third, 42% of U.S. evangelicals agree with this statement. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So one could be a practicing Jew or a practicing Muslim, um, reject the deity of Christ, reject the authority of Scripture, reject pretty much everything that would define our faith, and yet 42% of U.S. evangelicals would agree that God still accepts their worship. It, it, it begs—and what we're saying is these statements are bad and wrong— Oh yeah, just and, because forty-two percent of and should be patently wrong. Yeah, when, when we we have we've talked about this oodles to use your word, but the the difference, the distinction between dogma and doctrine and discussion, um, these are dogmatic issues. Meaning, yeah. like these are essentials of the Christian faith. The yeah. deity of Jesus is an essential. You cannot claim to be a Christian if you say you merely follow. A some rabbi from the first century, right? Uh, this is not something like, well, that denomination believes in Jesus as Lord, but that denomination just rejects his deity. No, this, no, no, no. This is just what makes a Christian. Period. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, the the other the other two weird blasphemous statements, you know, like just rejecting the 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 sin nature of humanity is patently wrong and anti-Christian um, because what you're saying is that man doesn't necessarily need to even be saved. If we all, you know, are kind of either at a neutral point, which is not that what you know, forty six percent of people are saying, they're saying man is inherently good, well, meaning in a right standing with God. And and again, we're not going to focus on Senator Warnock this whole conversation, obviously, but just think back to that quote by by a U.S. Baptist pastor who that would qualify as an evangelical who said essentially that Easter is about more than Christ and men can save themselves. Yeah, yeah. that falls right in line with these three. Shocking statements from the state of theology. Yeah, and but what does beg the question, or it, it begs the question, then how do men and women arrive at these conclusions? What causes people to believe in blasphemous statements like this, in just just downright anti-Christian statements like this, and yeah. still consider themselves Christians? Well, Let's walk through a couple things here. Um, first of all, I would say that a lot of people listen far more to 
charismatic leaders than they do to the scripture. And and you mean by that because last week we talked about Ooh, charismaticism. Yeah, not charismatic as in like they they practice speaking in tongues and and etc. Um, charismatic as in uh, dynamic personalities. Um, so we will follow people, whether it's on TV or whether it's in, you know, people used to follow people in the newspapers or in magazine articles. Um, but we have these figures, and Christianity is so prone to this hero worship. Yeah. Um, we will take pastors and turn them into like a LeBron James or Kobe Bryant type figure where we're following their exploits. We care about what outfits they're wearing. Um, we hang on every word they say. But we, we really, if pressed, we couldn't really ground anything that we're convicted of in Scripture. We just know that this guy that we were very attached to says it. Now, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, that's not me, it might have been your childhood pastor. Yeah, um, I it was going to say... The, it might have been the guy that was just like a father figure to you that yeah. you grew up under for 20, 30 years at your home church. He's not a celebrity. He's not a hybrid. But you still hang on every word he said. And why do you yeah. believe the things you believe? Well, because he said them. Yeah. He said them at one point, and it was impactful in my life. That's even more dangerous in my estimation, because those people you have a personal relationship with, and you right. might love dearly, and they might love you dearly, um, because I'm, I'm thinking of, like, the big-name pastors, which is a... that That's an oxymoron. There should be no pastor with a big name. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Yeah. Um, I'm going to toot that horn every chance I get. But there should be no celebrity pastor. There should be no big-name pastor. But... Um, you know, we we can kind of see these guys up on a on a on a big platform. And I don't mean literally, but they have a wide reach, and we can think, well, they must be teaching the truth because God would not bless their ministry otherwise. Which we know that that's the farthest thing from the truth. Um, and I'm thinking of like while you're while you're naming this, I'm thinking of guys like Billy Graham, for example, Billy Graham, who reached so many people throughout the world, people hung on his words, people believed things because they heard Billy Graham say it. Yeah. But if you were to identify, and I'm I'm just I don't I don't have And any this is specific... not to say that Billy Graham himself was teaching uh incorrect theology or, or Right, or... yeah. I'm not throwing Billy Graham under the bus. What I am saying though is if Billy Graham taught something, let's just say something true in scripture like Jesus is the Son of God, if you were pressed on that and I said, Why do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? If your answer is, Well, I remember Billy Graham, he preached a great sermon yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. That's the wrong conclusion. Right. Billy Graham may be right, but Billy Graham, I'm pretty sure, would tell you too. Don't yeah. hang it on his word. What do you hang it on? You hang it on scripture. And that's really where the whole conversation should revolve around is our question is what does God say? Mm. With anything we do on the Good Doctrine podcast, with anything we do as Christians, we should be grounding it on what does God say? Not how do I feel about it, not who else has said this thing, not what do most Christians believe, not it, not what are the uh, you know ramifications of believing this thing. But, what does God say? Yeah, and, but is the only matter. We do this with with everything. And and a lot of times we talk about uh when we talk about traditions, you know, for the sake of traditions, I've used the illustration before, which I heard from someone else about the lady who uh, she would make a pot roast, and every time before she put oh, yeah, the pot yeah. roast in the oven, she would cut off the end of it. That illustration stuck with me, by the way. Well, good. That means it's whoever it's because it's about food came up with it, did a good yeah. one. But she would cut off the end of the pot roast and put it in the oven. And her husband asked her, "Why do you do that?" She said, "Well, my mom did it." Then she asked her mom, "Why do you do it?" She said, "Well, your grandma did it." She went to her grandma, and her grandma said, "Oh, well, when your grandfather and I first got married, the pan that we had for the pot roast pan, it was too small, so I had to cut off the end, and it, it. and it became a silly tradition that was just passed down, and no one really understood. But we, but we do this with everything, you know, like." That didn't make the pot roast taste any better. It, it wasn't what the instructions on the pot roast package or, you know, whatever the butcher shop said, hey, this is how you should uh, cook a pot roast. But we do right. it with we do it with everything. But when you got into uh, talking about how we can do this with, like, our childhood pastors and, 
and our childhood pe- uh, teachers and influencers, even parents, because I know that there are, there are things that I do with my children. We all do this. We, oh, it's it's terrible, but there are things I do with my children that my parents did with me that are not necessarily good things. Like, uh, oh, yesterday I, I, I saw my dad and myself because my kids were playing video games, and I, like, I'm 30 years old, and I would sit and play video, continue to play video games, but they were sitting there playing video games, and I saw that they were just having a real good time, so I figured I needed to put a stop to it, and I said, <laughs> and I said, well, the sun's out, why don't you get up and go outside, and I sent him outside to go jump on the trampoline. Why did I do that? Was it because I really felt like they needed to exercise? No, I just, it was just something that I had, you know, heard so often, and it just kind of came out. It uh, doesn't mean it was good or bad, but we do this with, like... It was probably good, but go ahead. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, but... uh but we do this with, like, we, we might have pastors who love us and care for us, and they, they feed us on the Word, but there might just be some things that we take we take them at their Word rather right. than, like you said, the Word at its Word. And that's that's always, it, it's, it, well, w- one thing that we've experienced as, as ministers um, in a local church context is when people come from other church traditions or other churches, a lot of times their issues are not with the Bible, but their issues are that we're teaching differently than what they have heard right. previously. And uh, and our—you say this all the time, you know, like our um, response to that is, what does the Bible say? Yeah, what has God said? And it, it's, it's, it's important—so, you know, sometimes we get into— I don't want to say like minutia on this podcast, but we get into kind of specifics about the Christian faith. So we'll talk about, you know, eschatological viewpoints, or we'll talk about, you know, church structure and the way our churches are governed and stuff like that. Things that like maybe, you know, salvation and damnation don't hinge on these issues, right? Mm-hmm. These would fall into the categories that you mentioned earlier of like um, doctrine and discussion type issues. Yeah. When we're talking about dogma, though, we're talking about we're talking about life and death, heaven and hell, salvation and damnation. We're talking yeah. about like the most poignant questions that you can ponder in your life. And what we're suggesting is number one, most people believe, or I say most people, there are a great many people who believe wrong things. If surveys and uh, questionnaires that, you know, things like Ligonier has done with the State of Theology survey, if those can be believed, there are many professing conservatively grounded evangelical Christians who believe dangerously wrong things about who God is and what God has done. And it's not just everyone who disagrees with us is wrong. That's, right. That's, but, but our goal, every Christian's goal should be, we believe explicitly only what the Bible says. And that's, that, was, that was the second part I was going to add on there, was that, that when pressed about our convictions, if our response is anything more than this is what God has said— we need to ground our convictions in what God has said. Yeah. So if, if your pastor got it right, that's awesome. Praise God. If your parents taught you well, that's awesome. Praise God. If, if you feel a certain way that happens to be in line with what God has revealed, well, that's awesome too. Praise God. But why do you believe the core things that affect your eternity and everything around you and your worldview? They better be because that's what God has said. So if asked, why do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? If your thought's not to go to Scripture and tell that person why— Make that your response. Yeah, yeah, it's not because of how you feel or because who, what somebody said to you one time. It's because Scripture has said God has spoken. Yeah. Do you think some of this comes from, and maybe an embarrassment from some from some Christians to be able to say just like I believe in this really old book. I believe everything that it says. Do you, I mean? Do you do you do you think that that might be part of the issue? Like they want a more convincing argument that I believe it than you know the argument of. I believe it because the Bible says it. Maybe. I mean... Because I think a, you know, a couple of things... 
and 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 it's it's I think it's pervasive and it's um, deceptive. But what some people will do is they say they believe the Bible, but then when you ask them for a reason, why do you believe in the deity of Christ, or why do you do X, or why do you do this? It's uh, they don't give a Bible answer. They give kind of like almost an illustration of a Bible concept, and I'm, and I'm at a loss to think of a very specific example. But I've heard a lot of people who would say, "I believe exactly what the Bible says," you know, I, and I believe in the 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 plenary and verbal inspiration of Scripture that you know, and that, that all of Scripture is God breathed. However, when you ask them, a, like, or when they evangelize, when they tell people, share the gospel with people, they become more evidentialists. Like, well. We we know that God's real be, type argument. Yeah, we know that God's real because sand. we see this, and 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 you know it it becomes less about the Bible has said this. I think, I mean, you know, why do Christians do what they do? I'm I'm sure yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure some Christians are embarrassed. I'm sure other Christians want to be on the right side of history. Which quote, I'm, unquote, I'm, yeah, which right. I'm about to which I'm about to get into that with this next comment. But um, I, honestly, I think that most Christians are biblically illiterate. And that's just, oh. that's not a judgment call. That's not, I don't say that to like offend someone or to, to talk down to people. I just think we don't know our Bibles quite oftentimes, mm-hmm. myself included. Um, I'm constantly being confronted with things in Scripture, and I will continue to be constantly confronted with things in Scripture. So what then does that say if I just abandon trying to study Scripture at all? Mm-hmm. Where, where how, can I help, how could I hope to grow in, in my knowledge of, of the Lord and my obedience to Him? But as far as, far as the like being on the quote-unquote right side of history... I was thinking about this when when I was thinking about just truth. Um, you read these shocking words when you when you get to John's version of the uh, or John's uh, telling of the passion narrative, and you get to John chapter eighteen and verse thirty eight. You get this this rather bizarre response where Pilate responds to Christ's words by saying this: "What is truth?" Um, it's it's so fascinating. Jesus is defending who he is um, as he's being accused in front of. Um, both Jew and Greek alike, and and Pilate responds with this: "It's Tiestin Aletheia. What is truth?" Mm-hmm. It's such a such a modern slash postmodern. Yeah, know, I was going to say it sounds, that, sounds very uh, yeah contemporary. People people have spilled a lot of well deserved ink on this verse just because what a what a poignant response. What is truth? Pilate responded, but if you look back at at verse thirty seven, which came right before it, just listen to the words of of Jesus. It says, "Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king." Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Now, pay attention here. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate responded with, What is truth? And and the, the, the narrative goes on. But when Jesus talked about his mission, he said that he was here to reveal truth. You know, earlier we can think about John saying that Jesus was the truth and the life. Um, but Jesus came to reveal truth, and he says, those who are born of the truth, i.e. Christians, will hear my voice and will respond to truth. Mm-hmm. So as a Christian, you're supposed to recognize truth from untruth, and if you're a Christian, you're supposed to respond positively to Christ revealing truth to you. So this is how I kind of translate this, and, and you can you can pick, pick this analysis apart, Sean, because this is about 10 minutes old. Um, I was just reading this this morning and thinking about it. But Jesus said that his spirit at work in his children will reveal reveal truth to them. They will be confronted with his revealed word in Scripture, and that through that, they will seek the truth because they are of the truth. So if a Christian is either A, not seeking truth, or B, rejecting that truth outright, um, that's not a child of God growing in the faith as we see in the Gospels. What we see in the Gospels is they're struck to their core. 
Yeah. They were shaken to their to their knees. Well, they responded wanting to know more about this Christ. And I don't I don't see that hunger and desire and submission yeah. to Christ's word a lot of times in Christian circles. The Bible itself says that like it is like the Bible, the word of God is that sword that cuts men, you know, right. to the to the heart. That uh, you know, the the the, the truth of the gospel and um you know, following Jesus will divide families over truth. And yet what we struggle with a lot is that we see, we present truth to people. A- any Christian would do this, but a Christian presents someone else, maybe someone, a prof- another professing Christian with truth, and that professing Christian says, hmm, I don't like that. Right. Because maybe it it it, it argues or, or, or disagrees with their worldview or like what they have been taught by someone, you know, who they respect and love, or maybe another celebrity pastor or something like that. Um I am, I, I you know I am apt to agree with you that a uh, what's the, what's the word um, a mark of a true Christian is that they do submit to God's word, and so there are things, and we've talked about this you know ad nauseum on the podcast, but there are things that we have had to struggle with the text uh, with God's word about you know things that that talk about my condition, things that talk about the things that I would would like to do or 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 things that uh that I don't know, you know, condemn certain sins of mine. Right. I have to agree with God's word. And I can't say, ah, I don't I'm just gonna ignore that. Or now nah, it can't possibly mean that. I have to reckon with God's word, agree with it, and believe it. I think that's the yeah, that's the huge difference we're talking about here is not that there's not a process of sanctification in a Christian's life. Obviously we don't ever just like we're not given you know, complete sinless perfection yeah. when we are converted um, by God's grace. Uh, we're growing in our our knowledge of the Lord. We're growing in our submission to His Word. Like all those things are progressive, and yet at the same time, there's an attitude of the Christian. Yeah, and that's what that's why when I started this discussion, I said um, that the whole discussion we're having is has God said it, and then we move on from there. What does God say? But it requires that's, that's supposed to be the attitude. It, but see, what does God say requires, like you said, a Bible literacy. I have right. to work, right? You know the a, a lot of. A lot of us have been convinced that the because those who are filled with the Spirit of God can discern what God says in His Word, we, we've been taught that, and, I, and that's true, but because we've been taught that, we've also come to this conclusion that, oh, well, the Bible should be easy. I right. should be able to open my Bible and understand everything that it says, just me and my third grade education. Yeah, and I think, I think we talked about that on a previous podcast. Did we? I think we, I think we recently, recently mentioned that, but... I mean, I'm always drawn back to, you know, the 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 Nick at night encounter in John John chapter three. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and yeah. Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, possibly the teacher of Israel, you know, capital T, capital well, two capital T's there. Um, but in any case, like a very learned, obviously very learned, well studied man comes to Jesus. He's speaking to him, and Jesus responds in John three ten and says, "Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things?" Mm-hmm. Um, in other words. When we reject legalism as a Christian, what we're not calling people to is antinomianism, and I'll define those terms. When we reject legalism, in other words, 
Um, you know, it is not our place to earn God's favor. I don't, I don't just work and study and slavishly toil over the scripture because I, I think that that's going to earn me favor in God's sight. We, we rightly reject that legalistic tendency that some, some people have had, and yet we slip into the other ditch of antinomianism. In other words, just complete rejection of God's instructions, period. So God's called us to be good stewards of the, the, the deposit of faith that we've been entrusted with. We're called to grow in Christ's righteousness. All these are active verbs. Um, you're called to do something hard as a Christian. Yeah. Um, don't slip into either ditch of A, thinking that earns you favor with God, or B, thinking that it doesn't matter that God's commanded us to do something. Yeah. Um, when when Christ gave us what's, what's typically called the great commandment there in Matthew 22, um, he talked about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah. You know, and he's reiterating something from Deuteronomy, but he's adding on that word mind. You know, when it's when it's given to us in Deuteronomy, um, it's love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. And of course, the Jews would rightly understand that mind was tied up in that concept. Well, Jesus makes it very clear: your mind, your intellect, your study is part of loving God. Yeah. So you studying God's word is not something to put like you know a feather in your cap, um, but it's something you do out of a love and devotion to God. That's one reason why it it chafes me when Christians act as if studying Scripture in depth is something only for academics well, yeah. or only for the stodgy intellectuals. I was going to say something about that, and, and you would probably agree with me, and you definitely get this a lot more than I do. Um, I'm trying to say this without being sound weird, but... When some so we have a podcast where we talk about and we kind of sometimes delve into the more academic side of theology and um, even though that's not our goal or it's not our goal entirely is just to be academics about this. Right. We, I mean, the good doctrine is for good living, you know, which is for every Christian. Yeah. But I, I don't think I've ever gotten more frustrated with brothers and sisters in Christ than when when I'm trying to explain as a pastor a biblical concept or. Just Bible verses, and I'm and I, I'm brushed off because oh well that you you just understand that you're smarter than me I'm mm. I I don't I'm not like that you're smarter than me and and you with a PhD you didn't come out of the womb with a PhD like I have watched you work like for five years now I have watched you work for first your master's in theology and then your your MDiv and then now your PhD and it was five years of work right like. And I think people just assume that people with, you know, the letters after their name or uh, whatever, they're, they're just—it was just because they were born smart, which is absolutely not the case. The the people that labor and study uh, for your benefit, Christian, your pastors and, and your seminary professors and people who want to teach you about the Bible, they only have come to the— uh, their understanding, their knowledge of God's Word through work right. and effort and— Aided so, by the Spirit of God, enlightened oh, by the Spirit of God, God's doing the work, and yet we're called to work uh, in our behalf, too. Yeah, and, and I, I think that a lot of people are intimidated by this idea that, oh, well, if God wanted to, you know, or, or maybe they have an excuse that, like, oh, if God want, really wanted to talk to people, He would have made it easier, He would have made it... And I, well, this is, this is one reason why... So there, there's two stories yeah. I can think of right now, and I'll share them both, because I know you like to hear me talk, Sean. I'll share them really quickly. Two stories I can think of. One... Um, there was a uh, seminary professor visiting in England 
England was showing off a coding system um, where oh, they were yeah, codifying yeah. the Greek New Testament on computers. This is back in like the 60s or 70s. They just started coding information. Um, they were showing him, you know, kind of showing off their university. I think this might have even been at a Cambridge campus. And uh, they were showing him all this this software and what a, what a, you know, boon it was going to be the Christian church. And he pointed out something in the Greek text that they'd mistranslated. As they were scrolling through kind of in this, you know, flyby presentation, he just happened to catch, oh, you have that Greek text wrong. And he knew that because he'd memorized the whole New Testament in Greek. Uh-huh. Um, dedicating, and, and if you think that he just did that in his spare time because he's a professor, no, that takes work and yeah. work and work. Yeah, it doesn't matter how smart so yeah. you are. You so you've got but... that on the one hand. Here's the other story, though. Um, I, I remember hearing from one of the wisest professors that I, I've, I've talked to, um, and he was talking about how there used to be a uh, kind of unlearned, eighth-grade educated countryman who would sit out on his farm, and he'd go and spend time with him from time to time. And uh, sometimes the the observations that this farmer would bring from God's Word, from just, you know, riding on his tractor and taking a break to look in God's Word, and and he would see something that God would illuminate to him. Um, and this professor shared that just to show that you don't need degrees behind your name to understand the things of God, um, that God can give that wisdom to anybody that studies His Word. Um, so you have those two kind of illustrations in mind. Most people flock quickly to the farmer, but they mm-hmm. flock to the farmer not because he's uneducated. They flock to the farmer because it's an excuse and it, it is an excuse not to do the study that that farmer was clearly doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> so they will flock to the farmer and say, well, see, God can just reveal these things as if God's you know, a candy vending machine, and I pop in my quarter and he'll just reveal these things, and I don't have to actually study God's Word. That's not what the farmer was doing. Um, we, we always talk about being a good little Berean, and I'm just going to read this little passage out of Acts 17. It's just two verses, three verses. Um, Acts 17, 10 through 12. Um, this is what we we read about the or read about the Bereans. It says the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So whenever we talk about good doctrine and kind of weighing the words of men, we always talk about being a good little Berean, and I've heard many people affirm that and say, yes, we want to be like the Bereans. Guess what the Bereans did? They they labored. They it worked. says they studied day after day. Yeah. Have you ever studied and labored over God's Word day after day? Um, that's our contention, is that I cannot help that most Christians, including myself, fall into this trap of laziness where I've given God a 20-minute segment of my morning, and it was very spiritual, and I read three or four verses, and that will equip me then to engage the world around me and to engage my Christian walk. Yeah, um, That's just... It's a, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very small view of uh, the commitment we ought to give this God that we worship. Yeah, good point. Well, you know, we, we, we never see anything in the Bible about natural ability or, uh, you know, even inclination, like what are your desires? Um, the spiritual gifts never talk about like there are some people who are excluded from learning about the Lord. Uh, you know, it, it talks about there are some that are equipped as teachers and preachers, but never does it say that there are only some people who are supposed to be learners. So I don't know, and I'm not going to speculate uh, where it came from, this idea that like, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it just I'm, I said I'm not going to speculate. I'm pretty sure it just came from bad preaching um, and, and just the laziness of individuals all across the world. But you are not excused, Christian, from doing work in the Bible. 
And what that means is not necessarily that you're always going to agree with your pastors, but when anyone has any question of, why do you believe this? Why do you live this way? You you will be able to back it up because you've done the, the legwork and you have uh, solid footing on, you know, where, where do your... Uh, belief and practice, you know, where does your belief and practice what come are, from? You're a pastor, Sean. No. What are your favorite questions as a pastor? What does this mean? Yeah. What I was studying in the Word, yes. and I was praying through this passage, and I do not understand this quite. And guess Can what? you help me? We never get those questions. Well, you say never. We sometimes one, get those questions. One out of ten questions are, hey, what does this mean in the Bible? We sometimes get those. And I weep with joy every time I get those questions. Seriously. Those uh, are the best questions. Yeah, when someone says... And the people that are asking those questions, by the way, are not beaten down, sad that they had to study God's no, Word. They no. are joyful and growing in the knowledge of God. That's the point. It's better for us to be doing this. Um, and the people that come to us, they're, hey, I was studying God's Word, and I'm trying to see this deep mystery. Can you help me connect this? Yeah. Man, that's a good time. Oh, yeah. Great conversation. Um, so that being said, if you're one of our congregants at Calvary Baptist, come and ask us more <laughs> questions about the Bible. Yeah, shoot us Bible questions at gmail.com. Or walk, come by my office or come by my house, because I will always drop everything to talk about the Bible. If, if you're wondering why, why we're wound up about that, because I realized I got up on a little bit of a soapbox there a second ago, and I wasn't breathing for about three minutes. <laughs> um, the reason is... Number one, it's not because I've had some bad experience this week, because <laughs> I really haven't. No, no. Um, it's not because that we're thinking of uh, some person in particular or anything like that. Um, the reason is because I see the way the world is trending. Um, I'm not the prophet nor the son of a prophet, uh, but the United States seems to be trending away from God. Um, if it was ever trending now it's, toward God. I think for the first time in like 150 years, it's less than half. Uh, I saw that. Yeah, less than half of the country consider themselves... Not Christians, but just churchgoers. Sure. Which for the Christian, by the way, caveat, that does not mean that we're to hang our heads in doom and gloom and just wait for Christ to come back in judgment. That means we're to toil even harder mm. as the days get darker. But that being said, the the world in general, and especially Western culture, seems to be kind of trending away from God, and it seems to be kind of dark times. And in these dark times, there are many false voices and false prophets, and we'll talk about that in just a second with some you know kind of biblical grounding of that. Um but there are a lot of people trying to lead astray those who are not grounded in what has God said. Um, there's also a kind of societal tendency toward being on the right side of history. Um, the worst thing that you can do, the capital offense of Western culture at this point, is causing offense. Yeah, you yeah. cannot cause offense, and really causing offense is up to, the, up to the one that's offended. So really, the best thing you can do is just to close your mouth and listen a lot, is what we're, we're, we're constantly told. If you are called to be grounded in what God has said, and then proclaim what God has said to the world around us, that means that we are to to be ever grounding ourselves in Scripture, ever praying through Scripture, um, ever seeking these things out so that we can do the task to which we've been called to do. Um, when Christ offered his high priestly prayer in John 17, he said, Father, I, I pray that you would not take them out of the world, uh, but that you would keep them in the world. This mm -hmm. is the task to which we've been called, and we want Christians to be equipped for this task, especially when there's many that bear the name of Christ um, who are saying things like like the quote that we read earlier that are not what Scripture says. Yeah. So with that in mind and with an eye toward closing... Um, we're going to walk through a couple of these passages, maybe, and just kind of ground our thinking, Sean, um, in, in the biblical warnings, which, again, given 2,000 years ago with an eye toward this, this age of the church, this time in which between Christ's first and second coming, we're called to be on guard. Uh, what does the Scripture tell us? 
Well, the Scripture tells us in Matthew seven fifteen, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 1 John 4, in verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 2 Peter 2.1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, uh, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Finally, um, but by no means, you know, exhaustively, 2 Timothy 4, 3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So to circle back around kind of to the, the initial thought, am I allowed to say circle back? Not anymore. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> to, to, to get back to our original uh, topic, though, um, people will dress themselves up as men of God and women of God. People will dress themselves in Christian trappings. People will use Christian language. People will even use the titles of Christianity, and yet what they will say is not Christian. What they will say is destructive, leading away from the Lord, and we're even told here that there's a time in which the people will flock to them, gathering these teachers out of the out of the uh, the darkness and bringing them into the church pulpits because they want their itching ears soothed. Yeah, that that's that's the the sign of the times. And so when Scripture gives these warnings, again, this is not a scare piece or a, you know something to give you um, any sort of anxiety. This is just a realization of the fact that this is what is to be expected of the world, that people with itching ears will gather and lift up these people with tens of thousands of members maybe in their church, and yet what is being proclaimed from the pulpit is not the gospel of Christ. And how do we weigh that? We again ask that question, what has God said? Yeah. What has He said, and from there everything flows? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much the final exhortation of, of this one is base your beliefs and base your life and what God has already said, not what his uh, teachers, what what the what pastors and what men and people whom you love have said, but what has God said in His Word. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't ever tell people to be like good little Bereans, but I do. I mean, okay, that's my favorite. Be, I mean, be like the the good little Bereans. I'm sure they would love to hear that we're yes. making. Okay, anyway, be like the Bereans though, because. When the apostles with new revelation came to them, they said, hmm, well, let's see. Let's see if this really squares away with what we know God has already said. Yes. Um, not To be fair, nine times out of ten, the heresies that we combat and the heresies that we see in the Christian church today are would have... Would, I, I think that probably the early church fathers are probably laughing at it. Well, not really. They don't care. But they would be, because it's not like... It's never splitting hairs. Right. It's like it, it's it's really obvious things that the only reason why these are uh, the, these these doctrinal deficiencies are are around is because people are biblically illiterate and yeah. lazy, and we have we have a kind of lack of our perspective of history. A lot well, of times, sure, Western yeah. Christianity, yeah, which, which kind of fail to learn from the lessons of the past and yeah. fall prey to them again. Gross. Yeah. 
But in all of that, be encouraged because we've got to, we've got to turn we've got to turn the encouragement knob up here at the end. We just celebrated Easter. Uh, Easter is about the darkest day in history, which Christ brought the most glorious light through. God's mm-hmm. a God that redeems, um, and God's a God that is in control of all things. And He's one that has promised His people He would never leave them nor forsake them. So, um, do you live in dark times? Yeah, it seems to be dark times. Could they get darker? Darker, possibly. God's the one in control of these things, and yet God's Spirit abides in His children, and He says that neither height nor depth nor angels nor rulers, etc. Read the end of Romans eight. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So walk firmly in that. It's good and encouraging. Well, our recommended reading for this week is you guessed it, your Bible. Um, <laughs> one thing that I would encourage you to do is I um I don't. I say I hate a lot, but I, in my own Christian life, in my own life, I don't know what I don't know about you. Not that what's true for me is not true for you. That's not I'm not saying that. But in my own Christian life, truth is what is truth, Sean? Uh huh. Um, I hate quote unquote devotional, you know, devotionals and quiet times because what that has caused us to do, even some really godly good teachers have written devotionals where it's like one verse and you read that one verse, and then you read 12 pages on what their thoughts on that one verse are, that's bad. Don't do that. Don't Or don't do that at the risk of not just reading Scripture. Um, this week, if you haven't ever done this before, I would encourage you, encourage you to read an entire book of the Bible in one sitting. You can do this very easily. There are books of the Bible that are less than half a page. Mm. If you're starting out, read 3 John uh, or 2 John. Um, or my favorite book of the Bible, Jude. It's just one page in your Bible. Read all of Jude, and and try to try to get the fullness of that epistle of that letter. You know, all in one sitting. Right. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not saying you need to read First Corinthians or Romans in one sitting. However, that might be what you need is, yeah. is to read and just but read an entire book of the Bible in one sitting, without someone else telling you. You know, ten pages of their thoughts. On one verse about it, but that's um, that's, that's my encouragement. Encouragement: read your Bible because, as we always say, you know, context is key, or context is king. Even when understanding uh, the biblical text, and you're going to miss out on a lot of context if you read piecemeal. So that's my recommended reading. Yo, Bible. You got anything else? Yeah, I would say you know, in addition to reading your uh, paper Bible, I know people shudder when I bring my iPad up onto the uh, the pulpit, but um, check it out in Logos. We use Logos Bible software um, for a lot of our lesson sermon prep. You can do you know side by side Bible translations, um, quick word lookups. I, I typically, when a sermon's being preached, I just kind of have Logos pulled up on my phone. Um, and even if you have the free version, you can get a lot of language helps and just kind of walk through the sermon and and uh, and see keywords and such like that. So that's good. Yeah. One thing one thing about Logos that I like uh, that I've actually used recently is I've noticed that it's very hard to get French translations of the Bible in print in the U.S. Okay, um, there's like one that's really popular that you can get, but uh, Logos has all the translations of the Bible. And they're accessible. They're um, like I can have my English one and my French one up at the same time, and I, and I can have my Greek one up at the same time, and I can see. You know, they're all like linked together. So that's yeah. super cool. Not that everybody listening is going to be, you know, wanting a Spanish translation or a French translation or a Latin or Greek or Hebrew. But Logos is good for do that. Do they have German? You know that they do. Mm, I know that they do indeed. <laughs> okay. Good stuff. Yeah. So look up uh, look up your French translation or your English translation. Um, but yeah, Logos Bible software. Anything in closing, Sean? 
Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. Uh, we hope uh, to have a little bit more of a uh, a uh, collaborative episode upcoming. But in the meantime, uh, shoot us questions, gooddoctrinepodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, we do pray that your good doctrine will continue to establish good living. Good living.